0: Welcome to our podcast today, where we're talking to TEDx and TED Talk folks who have the experience and the passion. Today, we're going to work with a leading expert in leadership communication and eliminating workplace dysfunction. Mr. Brandon Smith combines wit, humor, research, practicality to help audiences overcome some of the biggest challenges facing us all in the workplaces today. Now, Brandon and his work have frequently appeared in numerous media outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, Fox News, NPR Marketplace, the Huffington Post Business, the, the Today Show, Now, I want to find out a bit more about Glamour, and many others. Now, coaches tend to focus on behaviors that drive performance, and therapists know how to work with emotion and resistors to change. Wouldn't it be nice to combine them all into one person? Brandon Smith is that one person. So let's. This is a Touchstone Publishers presentation, your trusted source of leadership knowledge. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you very much for joining us today. Appreciate you being here. Glenn, really, really glad to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Well, it's certainly my pleasure. You know, I want to just. Get right to it. And ask you a couple questions here because I think it's important that we kind of begin to understand your journey to doing this. But before I even ask that question, I'd like to know what is unique, powerful, and we all need to know about either your TEDx talk or your company or about you. Is there one or two things that you just find that was unique and powerful about that? Well, I would say, you know, the 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 short version is
1: somewhat what, what you kind of mentioned. I had that interesting background of being both clinical therapist as well as a coach, uh, and I, I've got an, I've got kind of both a clinical therapy degree and an MBA. So it's my version of a Reese's peanut butter cup. So <laughs> it really is about about figuring out how we work with people more effectively because, you know, we're we're human beings. We're kind of a messy bunch, and whenever you throw a bunch of people together in a room and say go achieve something. Inevitably, someone's gonna step on someone's toes, someone's gonna throw an elbow and bloody someone's nose. So uh, I, I really work hard to help us eliminate that so we can work a little bit more smoothly together. So so my te- my TED talk is all about um, combating uh, negative emotions in the workplace and, and about how emotions are contagious in the workplace. But I do the same kind of work when I'm uh, working with either individual leaders or teams or, or organizations. So maybe that's a long answer to your question, Glenn, but I think that's
0: probably what makes me a little bit different. Well, now I have to ask you just based upon that, when you look at the fact that you're a therapist and have the MBA, that makes you unique. I don't think there's anybody else that I've interviewed or even seen that brings those two together. Is that uh, something that um, is unique in the selling position? You know, I have found some folks similar, but it, you're right.
1: It is somewhat unique. It tends to be folks tend to either have more of the therapy side and they do more of the clinical side, which is invaluable. You learn about people's life story. We I think we can all use therapy, and and we we uncover some of those challenges that we've had as as, as people and and some of those hangups and triggers, but then. I apply that specifically in the workplace, which most therapists don't do. They tend to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. They want to talk about your family of origin. Well, I do want to talk about that, but I want to talk about how we make it more effective for us to lead other folks and people. So it, it helps to, you know, get un- uncover and underneath some of the behaviors. So, you know, coaches focus on behaviors and behaviors are great, but sometimes we have underlying issues which, which create those behaviors or prevent us from behavior change. So uh, I, I'm not afraid to, you know, Talk about those, too.
0: I would just wonder, because sometimes you hear, and that's mostly because someone whose leadership or business does not train them, but mostly we hear that we don't want, or leaders don't want to get into that emotional, therapeutic kind of area. How do you get past that?
1: Well, so I had a mentor of mine years ago, so I can't take credit for this question. But one of the best Mm -hmm. questions to ask someone is okay so let's let's say nothing changes what is that costing you hmm. that's a great question right so you yes. might have leaders yes. that just for whatever reason part of their story they just refuse to be vulnerable well that 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 might cost them trust it might cost them the ability to empower other people it might cost them you know high, higher performing teams better performing businesses so you know when you start to outline all those costs it, it makes a pretty good case for well maybe we should do some of that work so 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 you could be the leader you want to be have the business you want to have have the team you want to have mm-hmm, so it's just mm-hmm. helping people uh see the the need and the value for that kind of work
0: okay all right okay let me ask you about your journey to the tedx i mean what was that like i mean because you know people have they got to get up the guts and the glory and they have you know hard time submitting paperwork what was your journey like getting there
1: so um, I participated in a TEDx uh, here in Atlanta, Georgia. It's um, done by Emory University. It's one of the earlier TEDx licenses. So most TEDx uh, events are limited by size. Well, Emory's because it was an early one was not limited by size. So it was in a very big kind of auditorium with balconies and lots and lots of people. So they had approached me one year and said, "Would you be willing to you know do do a talk um, on?" You know, a topic of your choice related to this theme that we did, and so I said, "Sure, that's great. I would I'd love to do that." So that was the first step. But then, of course, the hard work is now. I gotta, now I gotta put together this, this, this talk. And and at the time, they said, you know, the goal really is you want to get this thing as close to fifteen minutes as possible. Right. Now I think a good a good TED talk is probably closer to. Five minutes, frankly, but uh, I remember mine ended up being about 14 minutes and 59 seconds, Glenn, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. and and it was just a lot of um, preparation, a lot of practice, but then of course, yeah, when it's when it's game time, you only get one shot. You know, you got you got to do it and do it really, really well, and uh and and uh and pretend that you're comfortable uh, so that's <laughs> a <because laughs> challenge
0: keyword pretend pretend it's because you
1: know uh, you, it's, a, it's a nerve-wracking experience because you know you're up on stage lots of lights um but it was a really really fun and rewarding experience i'm so glad i was able to do it I, I really really feel fortunate
0: yeah it is a good it is a good gift for everyone to be able to do that but i want to ask you why did you choose your topic. I mean, emotions are contagious in the workplace. What caused you to choose that topic?
1: Well, I thought it was something really valuable that I could contribute to because mm-hmm. um, it, 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 it's something we all know to be true. I mean, I'm not telling anybody a, a, a big aha that you didn't already know, but there's been a lot of research around that and a lot of really interesting research about different kinds of emotions having different levels of contagiousness. And I think for us as leaders, it's a really important thing to be aware of because we set the emotional tone and tenor for our teams and for our organizations. We can end up creating places where people feel really fulfilled and purposeful and motivated, or we can create places where people feel anxious or depressed Mm -hmm. or or fearful. Um, So the ability to create healthy environments and have that spread into those those folks and their families and those communities, is something I was really passionate about. So I thought it'd be a great kind of message
0: to spread. uh, And that's what kind of uh, drove me to pick the topic. Okay, that's, and it was a great topic. When I was listen, listening to it, I had a question, and I would like for you, if you can, just give us, everybody, um, you mentioned two terms, negative emotion and the emotional mask. Can you talk about those a little bit more? I mean, we'll call all kind of all understand what negative emotion, but when you're referring to it in your TED Talk and in the workplace, it felt like you were saying people who had negative emotion spread that negativity faster than people who were positive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they absolutely do. So so while all emotions are contagious, not all emotions are equally contagious and negative emotions are the most contagious. And so uh, when you have that and, and you bring that to work, you know, it really is disruptive for the environment. And, and, you know, and again, we all can pull on our own backgrounds. We've all had experiences working with that one person. Maybe it wasn't our boss, Maybe it was a coworker and they were just, you know, kind of an EOR kind of person, always negative, always down in the dumps, or maybe very critical of other people. And it just, it really ruins the vibe of the team. So it's just being mm-hmm. aware of that contagiousness and then either trying to prevent folks like that from, you know, being part of that organization or, you know, trying to encourage them to change their behavior or um, finding ways to protect yourself. I think that's the other piece too. boundaries uh, as a therapist. I mean, if there was any one word that probably sums up therapy uh, the best, it's probably boundaries. It's all about learning how to be healthy and and set healthy boundaries in relationships. Okay. So learning, learning how to do that, too, is uh, also part of that.
0: You know, I wonder when you send boundaries and learn how to do that in your work. Are you working with people to kind of say, "Well, don't hire that person in the first place"? I and mean, how do we discover that that's a negative person maybe in the first place before we even bring them on board? Hire right first time.
1: Yeah. So hiring, it's always that it's always that balance. Do we do we hire for um, you know skill or will? You often have heard that terminology. You know, we're really t- talking about do we hire for like their CV or their attitude? Uh, and, and in some roles, you, you really have to make sure you've got a certain level of competence, but, uh, my particular, um, tendency is don't uh, underscore attitude really, really important. So you can find ways to get at that in an interview, even though interviews are great ways for people to kind of fake it till you make it. Um, there are interview tricks that you can do. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a great example talking about kind of attitude and humility. I declined mm-hmm. organization mine years ago and, um, they were very technical, um, but but culture and attitude was really important to them. So when they they flew in a particular candidate, and when they flew him in, they had a driver meet him at the airport and drove him to the headquarters, and and they sat there and met with the, met with receptionists, and they had meetings all day with multiple people. Okay, and then when they were done, the driver took him back to back to the airport. The um, the actual decision on whether or not to hire this person was made by the driver. Because they wanted to know how would this person treat someone when they weren't being watched.
0: That's powerful, but a little scary, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, yes. it is. But but they they already knew the guy was technically sound. But right. they, this happened to be an, a, a male individual. But they but they really wanted to know what would happen when they weren't kind of you know being watched and kind of on the on on the spotlight. You know when when they were just day to day, how would they, how would they handle that? Um, consultants often call that, um, they call that the airport test. You know, like if I was stuck with this person in an airport, you know, would I, would I find it enjoyable or would I find it to be a miserable experience. Um, Mm, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's trying to figure that, that part out.
0: That's a good test though, because I mean, you don't necessarily have to hire drivers to have a company car and put one of your employees to drive them to the airport and pick them up. Yeah. So that's that's not a bad test to look at doing that at all. Um, Tell us a little bit about the emotional mask,
1: yeah, so emotional mask. So this is when we you know we we show up and we 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 put on a certain kind of emotion. Um, and so um, it, it, there's a tricky thing here, Glenn, since I've even done this TED talk. On the one hand, we don't like an emotional mask because can feel it, it can feel inauthentic, right? We're not we're right. not being real. We're, we're we're kind of you know pretending to be a certain way right. um, and and we can kind of tell that. On the other hand, what If the pandemic has taught us anything, is that sometimes leaders have to show up in a way different than how they actually feel. Mm. So, you know, I had a client of mine a couple of years ago, and um, it, he was really practicing vulnerability, but um, he had gotten double promoted. So he'd gotten promoted to be sitting in an interim senior HR role. And on the first meeting with his team, he announced that he would gotten promoted, and he immediately put his head in his hands and started crying, and he said, I have no idea how I'm going to do this.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs>
1: and, and the team said to me, they said, well, we appreciated his authenticity and vulnerability. That well, wasn't really strength. what we needed yeah. at the moment. We needed <laughs> <Yeah>. a leader. <laughs> we yeah, needed. Exactly. Somebody said, yeah. Yeah. like, yeah. I, you know, we're going to be good, team. So, so sometimes we may be feeling that on the inside, but we've got to figure out a way to put on, uh, you know, a strong face because we need to be kind of the, the calm in the storm because we're going to set the tone. So emotional masks can kind of go either way. Uh, I think it's more about, uh, if anything, it's about self-awareness and intentionality. So, you know, the the, the leaders that really helped their teams feel calm in the last year of uncertainty were the ones that, you know, said, okay, everybody, it's going to be okay. Uh, I might not have all the answers, but I know we can get through this together. Calm,
0: intentionality, self-assessment, confidence. Yeah, confidence. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, um, it struck me in, during your TED Talk, and I'd like to, I'm kind of getting off the subject just a little bit here and there, but I'd like to ask you about the personal story you shared. Yeah. During that TED Talk. That had to be a very painful time in your life. Can you share a little bit about that and why you chose to share that and why that was such a powerful teaching moment in the TED Talk?
1: Yeah, so... Um, so the story that I told was, you know, growing up, um, there was a lot of emotional contagion in my house. I had an older brother. Both my brothers were adopted. They, my parents were told they, they couldn't have kids. Uh, and then I, I, I came along. And came uh, <laughs> a surprise. Um, and my brothers were 12 and 11 years older than me. So I was mm-hmm. I was much younger. And my oldest brother, Chris, he was always, when he was home, there was a lot of yelling and screaming. And when he wasn't home, he was typically either in jail or a rehab center. So he, he created a lot of disruption in my house. Um, and it just, I can remember even being little, just always wanting to go play in my closet because it just felt like the safest place for, for me to be. And so when I was 10 years old, um, he had, he was staying at a rehab center in Florida and he, uh, didn't want to be there anymore. And he hitchhiked and he ended up coming uh, to our house and he was living with us for a little while. And he just decided life was, was way too hard. Um, and he took his own life. Uh, and that was a really traumatic experience for, for me and, and for my family. But it affected me sure. specifically in that I, I came down with a stutter. I, I couldn't I couldn't talk in public without stuttering. Um, and, and that was going into middle school, which I, in retrospect, I, I don't recommend for anyone. Yeah, really, <laughs> so, especially middle school, yeah. yeah. So every day before middle school, and I was just a little skinny kid, and I've got this stutter. And every day before um, middle school, I'd have to go see my speech therapist, and I'd work on my B's and my P's and my T's. Um, and so for, for me, not only how kids were treated with stutters, but how my life was at home with my brother, I just decided people were way too messy, and I just wanted to distance myself from people. So I became kind of a world class wallflower. I just distanced mm-hmm. myself. And that was all the way through high school, and then went on. I kind of carried through college, um, and I ended up majoring in communications. I'm not quite sure exactly <laughs> yeah. how that happened. And like most good communication majors, I was um, unemployed at graduation um, trying to find a job. And I ended up getting this job with my, w- with, um, a retail store. And I was a, sm- it was a small, privately held retail store. My boss was the son-in-law of the business. And, um, I was going to be the assistant manager at one of these stores. And, um, on my first day of work, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, he greeted me at the door and he said, before you get started, I have a task for you. Waiting for you in the, in the back room is the current assistant manager of the store, but he doesn't know you're coming. So your job is to go back there, you fire him, and you get his job. Uh, mm. And that was that was my first task, my first real full-time job. I'd worked lots of other jobs, but that was my first real full-time job. And that was how my boss rolled. He'd come in, he'd say, he loves surprise visits, love trying to catch people doing something wrong. He'd say, I don't like what Sharon's wearing, go fire her. Then I had to do more layoffs in the first six months of that job than any other time in in, in my life. Right. Um And that particular experience, coupled with my time with my brother, it all kind of came together in this one singular moment where I had this kind of aha moment about my life and where I wanted to go. Um, First, I realized, you know, work shouldn't have to suck. It should be a source of fulfillment, meaning and purpose for us, not a source of stress and anxiety and depression. I mean, we have those elements. It is work. Um, But I want to change that. Second, if my boss was in the indication of of the kind of leaders in the world, I want to fix that. Um, third, um, you know, we, we can't choose the families that we're given. We're, we're, you you kind of get what you get, um, but you can choose your workplaces. You have a lot more control over that. And we spend so much of our time at work. Um, and so that was really where my path was set. And I, and I, and I and it was in that moment, I decided I wanted to eliminate all workplace dysfunction everywhere forever. Yeah. <laughs> Having no idea what I signed up for Glenn.
0: <laughs> you will be working forever.
1: <laughs> I will be, I will be. It's a, I always tell people like I'm, I'm I've got plenty of job security. Um, so, uh, that's really how it kind of set out. So, uh, you know, I wanted to share that story at the end because I want people to understand why I'm so passionate about what I'm doing, but also to see that connection because, you know, emotional contagion happens at home too. Um, and if we can, if we get a better understanding of that, you know, we can create healthier spaces for us, whether it's at work Mm -hmm. or, or even at home in our families,
0: you know, it's the passion that you, that you carry for this. I mean, we're teasing and laughing a little bit when you say you want to get rid of all dysfunction, which means that you're working forever. Um, I want to drive though at something because you're working forever. How did your TEDx talk affect the hot the, the hot sauce principle? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Tell us, those seem to me to be. You tell us. How did that take place? I see you got a copy behind you. But how did that take
1: place? Yeah. So um, the book I, I, I released last year is called The Hot Sauce Principle. It's how to live and lead in a world where everything is urgent all the time. So it turns out that anxiety or urgency, we could call it that, it's the same thing, is one of the most contagious emotions uh, in the workplace. And what most folks do, what most leaders do is they're, is they're taught, rightfully so in some cases, that you got to drive urgency Right, right, Glenn. We we need a drive urgency around here, and urgency is like hot sauce. I mean, it's it's you know, and I love hot sauce. I'm holding yeah, a little bottle yeah. of Tabasco right now as I'm as yeah. I'm talking to you, yeah. and, and 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 I do love it. It you know, it it, it creates focus. It creates flavor. You know, um, gets mm-hmm. gets gets, a, gets me a little sweaty. Um, and and a little bit of hot sauce is a great thing. But if everything that comes out of our kind of leadership kitchen is covered in hot sauce, you know, the appetizer and the entree and the salad and the brownie at the end, the iced tea, I mean people are going to be curled up in a ball and they're going to be overwhelmed. And so I wrote the book because I wanted people to understand it's a powerful emotion, urgency. And sometimes we need to use it when we're trying to drive change. But if you overdo it, you're going to cause more harm than good. So that's really the tie-in. It was almost like I took that whole big pie of emotional contagion and I took off a a little slice and did a deep dive into it. And the slice was urgency and specifically anxiety. Okay.
0: Hey, you know... um how long between your TED talk and that book? When what year did you do your TED talk? Oh I'm, boy, you were going to ask me that question. I want to say that was
1: 2017 or 2018.
0: So three years between. I think the that TED feels talk that and feels about book. right. So Time flies. Lot, yeah, you had a lot of uh things taking place. What about your? You have a podcast, the Workplace Therapist Show. That's right. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, and more specifically. I'm sure. Still, the theme runs through from the, your TEDx talk. Does it? Yeah, it uh, does. when I'm read, um, as it runs through there, tell us a little bit about um, that show. W- why did you do it? Yeah. So
1: originally, I had done. So I've got um, my site is the you know one of my I guess sites is the mm-hmm. and originally, I, I it was just a resource site to help people. Free. It's a free site. And it's the way I did blog posts every week and I would do post articles and interviews and everything else to help folks. And what I realized about four or five years ago is that folks weren't consuming their content via blog anymore. They were moving to podcast. So I shifted medium to the podcast as another way to help people get content um, while they were in motion. Right, while while they're while they're commuting to work, while they're going for a walk, while they're mm-hmm. doing the dishes, mm-hmm. whatever happens to be, and so that was my initial reason for doing it. Um, and originally, we started off really just taking on this big bucket of curing and eliminating workplace dysfunction. Right. And mm-hmm. since the podcast world has gotten so big, we've narrowed our focus a little bit to how to help you have healthier conversations and better relationships at work. So, so the focus of the show really is around that healthier conversations because. We can all get better at that and healthier and, and better relationships at work.
0: So that's where I see a tie in right there between emotional mask and having a healthier conversation, um, self-awareness, self-assessment, those type of things. Yeah. Um, so you would agree with that, that that uh, oh, yeah. it kind of runs through there. okay? Absolutely. Um, driving you back a little bit toward the TED talk because i still have questions about that uh tedx talk i have the question that is sitting in my mind about that particular talk right now is when I listened to it I had my own points mm. but what it was one two or three major points that you wanted people so if you listen to this it, hey make sure you get these two or three things from this as you listen to it
1: yeah, I would probably, so I'm going to give you kind of the the, the 2021 updated version of those points, okay? Perfect. So maybe may not be in the TED Talk, but now you can go back and watch the TED Talk and you've got the kind mm-hmm. of a, um, updated version. So first, I would say be really, really aware. We can all be really, really aware of the emotions we're carrying to, to work every day and asking ourselves, is this how we want to show up today? I think that's the first question. And second question is, is this how I'd want the folks around me to not only experience me? But to feel as well, so uh, yeah, I think that's a really important question for leaders because you know when we need to motivate or inspire or kind of keep mm-hmm. Fo- mm-hmm. people focused, how how can we do that better? So I would say that's the first one. Uh, the second one is you know even more basic than that. It, it, there's always an opportunity to spread positive emotion in your daily walk through the world. Mm. So when you have that server that brings you a meal look up at her or him and just give a smile and say, thank you. You know, when, when you have someone hold the door open for you or you hold the door open for somebody else, look them in the eye and say, thank you. It's all these smaller moments that uh, we really desperately need now, probably more than ever just to, yes. to be showing that kindness and that generosity to each other. And, uh, and we need it. We, we need it for ourselves, but we also the folks around us needed to. So I, look for those, look for those moments to spread positive.
0: Let me ask you, because we can do that on a personal basis, every place. What is the effect though, when you as a leader say, thank you, when you start asking people to do things instead of bossing around to do things, when you take a moment to say good morning to everybody, Hey, good job. What's the effect upon your team when you do that? What do you see as the effect of that?
1: So, f- well, first they feel appreciated which is great. Who doesn't want to feel appreciated at work Mm -hmm. Um, when you ask more questions? So, so one of the ahas I've had in my career is that empathy and curiosity are really the same thing. I'm happy to go into a little more detail around that if you'd like, but empathy and curiosity are really the same thing. And so when we get genuinely curious about folks, they experience this as empathetic, they experience this as caring, um, and, and they experiences us as a leader that really, really is looking out, wants to get to know us and is looking out for our best interests. So it's a really, really powerful way to have people not only feel valued and respected, um, but also you're, you're building a healthy environment around you when you do that.
0: You are. You are when you think about that. Now, I want you to go a little bit deeper on empathy and, and curiosity because I can vaguely see that. So help me get a clear picture of being empathetic and being curious, kind of being the same yeah, thing. Yeah, the same thing. So here, here's here's where it comes from. So back in my clinical days,
1: and then even in, into my corporate days, I was regularly asked this question: Can you teach empathy? Isn't that an interesting question? Can you teach
0: empathy? Can and you the, teach someone to be empathetic. The, the, the initial answer is no. You just people have to have it, but maybe there yeah.
1: because. Of- but but then there were some days. You know, maybe I was a little. Maybe I was a little. Um, Self confident. I don't know. I'd say, oh, yeah. I think I can. I can think I could teach this person empathy. So, so, so that kicked around in my head for 15 years. And then one day, I was doing work with uh, a division of a company, and they'd undergone four mergers and acquisitions in four years. So it's like four families being thrown under the same roof. And the president of this division said, "You know, I don't even know what kind of culture I've got. It's like four families. Can you help me out?" And I said, "Well, sure." So I did a bunch of interviews. I interviewed a whole bunch of folks in the company. Went back to him with a report. And I said, I said, I've got a report for you, but the bottom line is everyone I interviewed, to the person, said you're a really empathetic leader.
0: Mm-hmm. And I paused
1: waiting for him to say something great. And and he was a bald guy with glasses and he scratched his head, he wrinkled his brow, and he said, you know, I don't think I'm empathetic at all. And, and he went on and he said, look, work is work. I don't wanna talk about personal stuff here at work. We're, we're here to do a job. Mm. And this is my team. I want my team to win, but it's not my family. The last thing I wanna do is go out to dinner with a coworker. Like, I want to go home and see my family. Uh, and so he's telling me this and i looking at this report because it makes sense to me because they say he's empathetic, but this doesn't sound empathetic at all. So I just kind of stare at him. He's staring back at me. Finally, he breaks the silence and this is what he says to me. He says, you know, I, the, 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 there's one thing I do do. I think the greatest compliment you can give anybody is ask them about the work they do. So when I'm walking around the office, I'm asking folks, so what are you working on? Well, tell me more about that. Well, where do you want to go in your career and how can I help you get there? He takes that one topic of work, the only thing he really wants to talk about at work, but he gets genuinely curious about everybody he's working with. Um, And the light bulb goes off for me that curiosity and empathy are the same. And the empowering thing for managers and leaders is you don't have to ask about every single thing about a person's life. You probably don't want to know all that stuff. But if you can find the one or two things you are genuinely curious about and truly ask those those questions and to learn about the other people that work around you, they're going to experience you as really empathetic and caring. So it, it was yes. a, it was an important takeaway for me that curiosity and empathy are are so very related, if not exactly the same
0: thing. Because it seemed like to me and coach me here that if I ask questions and I care to hear the answer, that automatically connects me in an empathetic way. Yeah, and and and, and here's the key
1: curiosity is never the first question you ask curiosity is the second the so, first. Wow. so so, if, for example if i say well glenn now that we're coming out of this pandemic where's this place you i know you've been dreaming of going on vacation because we all have one right right well, right, right. well you're going to give me an answer now i've got a choice there i can i have not i really haven't been curious yet i can now get curious and ask a follow-up question about what you just said or i can say what i think is the worst phrase in the modern modern american language and i can say oh good for you glenn Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Which is just another way of me saying, I don't really care what you just said, but you seem happy about that. But but follow up questions is where we really show curiosity like, oh my gosh, that sounds great. Who's going with you? Or have you been there before? Or what are you most excited about in this place?
0: Or do you think I should go there one day? I mean, there's so many okay. different questions. Okay. I try to do because what you're saying is that first question just opens the door. But the second question is when the empathy comes in line because now you're saying, let me get to know you. Right. Get to know your job and why that part of this job is so important or so difficult. I want to know more.
1: Yeah, how that's doing right.
0: That. Okay, so now that becomes very clear to me. Empathy and yeah. curiosity, that becomes very clear to me. That's powerful. Okay, and see, and that's another TED talk, by the way. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: perhaps, perhaps, if they ever would have me back, I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah that's powerful. That's powerful. You know, um, Tell me just a little bit about how did doing this TED Talk affect? The question on the screen is, for those of you who can't see it, is how does TED Talk affect your current work? But I want to ask you before before that one. How did doing this TED Talk affect you personally?
1: Yes. How did it affect my current work?
0: Well, I think personally first, how did it affect you personally?
1: Personally? Well, I would probably say the, the, the biggest way it affected me personally is I realized, oh, I can, I can do this. I could do a TED Talk. So it, it was a, definitely a confidence booster um, because it is, a, it is a fairly scary event to do. So it, it, it affected me that way in a very positive way. I was, I was very uh, happy that I had the experience and opportunity to do that. Um, it also probably, I, I had so spent time practicing telling my personal story because I know the power of telling a personal story in, in connecting with other people. Um, but it, it gave me greater confidence to do that because I did that in such a big way. So it's kind of like ripping the Band-Aid off. And, and I think most, most TED Talks that we really love tend to have some personal story mixed in. So it, it, it gave me greater comfort in telling my personal story, which if you really want to take on something bold in life, practice telling your real personal story to a group of people.
0: And I will share this with you and those who, the link for the Ted talk will be in the description and it's been up on the screen, but I will share this with you. I heard the power of the, that personal story, but I heard it in your voice, how it was affecting you. You're, it got to you personally. And yeah. I mean, you probably rehearsed it a hundred times. I don't think people quite understand. It doesn't matter how many times you tell it rehearse it. If it's authentic, it's going to bother you as you say it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that was, that's why I kind of asked you about that because you have to have the, the gumption to do it in the first place.
1: Yeah. And, and it's going to make you feel that way. Every time, and every particularly time. when there's a bigger audience, you're going to feel that and, and the audience is going to feel that way too. So yeah. what, what, I, what I've gotten what I've gotten comfortable with over the years is telling my personal story and seeing people look away. And at first it felt like rejection, but the reason why they looked away was because they're feeling that same thing I'm feeling. It's touching something in their own personal story and and they're and they're feeling really uncomfortable. But you know, you you experience it as, you know, rejection because you're putting out something very vulnerable. But that's it's really not about me. It's about how other people are experiencing it.
0: And by the way, that's a good lesson for other speakers that might be tuning in because now they realize that look away in that particular instance. Means you touch that core, yeah, yeah. That chord. Okay, let's go ahead and drop into what the question originally was. You, you made me think of a second question, but the the current work. How does TED talk, TEDx talk, affect your current work?
1: You know, it's a really good question. So I so don't. I don't have a a very specific answer. I can't say, oh my gosh, you know, well, I got all these clients out of it, or or um, it changed. Necessarily, my client pool. I don't think it really did. I continued to do the work that I'd always, always done. Uh, I think it probably just gave me another way to spread the kind of message to people that I'm trying to spread. Because there's a lot. Some of my work naturally I get paid to do, but a lot of work that I do, I pay to do. I paid, I pay to put out content because I want to help people. So it just gave me an opportunity to, you know, spread news in a different way. Um, now. You know, maybe it helps when you're when you're a writer and you're and you're producing books. Maybe it helps to say you're a TEDx speaker, um, but I don't know. I, I can't really answer it any any other way than that.
0: Okay, and that's a fair answer. It's, you'll see it twenty years from now. So we know that. You no, know, maybe maybe not. I mean, because it's not like you were doing business that way anyway. To yeah. give first, and it wasn't like a big um, revelation. that said, well, I give first, I get business, and that will help. Uh, but want to
1: ask you what questions should I have
0: asked
1: you that I didn't? Oh, for today. Yeah. Great, great closing question, Glenn. Not quite. Really? Closing, yes. <laughs> really <laughs> yes, great yes. question. Like that question. Well, that's a fantastic question. So anyone who's listening to this, if you don't, if you ask that every time, I mean, that's that people should take that right right out of your playbook and put it in theirs because it's a great it's a great question. Um. You know, the only other thing I would say see if I can think of anything else. Oh, let's see if I can think of anything else. Um, I would, I would say this, I would say one thing, it's not necessarily a question, but more of a comment, you know, um, we are relational people. We need relationships. So we've been starved from that to varying degrees over the last year because so much of our working relationships have been remote yes. for a lot of folks. Now, some folks are frontline workers, manufacturing, healthcare, hospitality, and they've been working in groups. But even then, they're wearing masks and the social distancing. It's um, I'm glad that that's starting to move away because we really need that connection with people. So uh, I think it's probably a good opportunity for everyone here, whether it's leaders or uh, managers or or other folks, to just make an inventory of the relationships that you really want to work on nurturing as we start to move back into something normal. And think about how you can do that. And and a good opening um, tactical thing to do, start scheduling lunches or breakfasts with people when when you're comfortable. That's some of the best ways to build trust-based relationships is just a lunch during the middle of a work day. We learn so much about people and it really strengthens that relationship. So I'm a big fan of um, of lunches and and I'm glad that we're starting to be able to get back into that.
0: And that's something that you don't really consider on the outside, but now I think we really need to take a look at that because we have been apart for so long. So that's a very valuable tip there. You know, look at lunches and you know, here's my excuse golf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying go play around the golf. I'm saying maybe go drive the drive a bucket of balls, doing much. Yeah. Something like that. So just getting back and making that connection, I think that's very important. Um, I want to ask you though this, and I'm just gonna be blatant about it. What do you bring to the table? So, in other words, if I want my organization to be better, how do you do it, and how else do I get a hold of you to do it?
1: Yeah, so if we talk about kind of the ways that people hire me, um, it really comes in a couple a couple ways. So one is um, I have a practice. My practice is um, the worksmiths, just like blacksmiths, but the worksmiths, and that's where uh, I can help with both executive coaching. So work with you know emerging leaders, leaders that have been promoted into new opportunities, or leaders that might need to make a few tweaks to their style in order to be uh, good culture fits. Um, I also work with teams, so help teams improve their dynamics. It could be department teams leadership teams and even boards so uh you know kind of taking the same kind of things we're talking about here and helping to improve those relationships of teams and how they function and then i also do um, speaking engagements and sessions and you know teaching conversations so i've taught at multiple uh, business schools and their mba programs so i kind of make it like a mini mba on all about how we can communicate communicate better so those were all ways that folks could kind of reach out to me if, if they're looking to learn more about ways that uh, I might be able to kind of bring what I'm really passionate about into their organization.
0: Okay. Now, here's a question that was asked of me the other day. I had submitted uh, two proposals and the person said, well, which one's better? You have, I think, six to eight keynote listed on your left, website. I won't ask you which one's better, but I'll ask you which one do you have the most passion for?
1: Oh my gosh. Of my topics today. Okay. I can, I can answer this question. So um, there's, there's, there's a couple. So one, the one, the most popular one for people this year, there's, there's two most popular ones. One um, is um, helping leaders go from working in the business to on the business. Okay. Okay. Because when everything's urgent all the time and we're kind of in this firefighter mode, it brings us right into the weeds and we find ourselves doing the work rather than leading the work. Um, so if you find yourself working over 65 hours a week, you know you, you've you've got you've got a role issue, and so the session's really all about how to reset that, setting proper boundaries, delegation. It's a great session, practical tools to really help leaders, you know, not only be real leaders and get them on the sidelines calling plays rather than in the middle of the huddle, um, but it's just it's just a great practical way to do that. The other one is uh, mastering urgency. How do we properly use urgency? To both motivate and inspire folks. Um, and as a client told me years ago, you know, I know I need to light a fire in my people, which is inspiration, but mm-hmm. sometimes I need light a lot of fire under them too, which is urgency. How do you do that properly without burning them out? And I think that's the other uh, most popular topic that I've had this year. So there's going from working in the business to on the business and then mastering urgency. Um, those those are the biggies. So
0: those are your two most popular. And I'm going to just hold you to the fire a second, Brandon. I asked you for your... They're, they're my
1: kids, Glenn. They're my kids.
0: I can't no. pick one over the other. I will say this, though. I will say this.
1: So The Mastering Urgency, obviously, is from my book from last year. Right. I'm working on a book this year, and the whole uh, concept is author versus editor. And it, it's about kind of how we sit in the right seats at work. I don't want to go into too much detail now take a little bit of time, but that book is very much linked to the going from in the business to on the business. It's knowing what seat to sit in at the right time with your direct reports. I mean, should you be the author seat telling folks what to do? Should you be in the editor seat reacting to what they bring you? Um, and I love that concept. I've got such passion around it because it's so practical, it's so sticky, and it has literally transformed leaders' lives because it's got them working from 70 hours a week to working more like 45, 50 hours a week with, with twice as much success. So, okay. you know, I, I love that topic for, for, for that reason, too.
0: Okay. Perfect. That, that's the perfect answer. And I think that's, that's good. I'll let that one stands. I think that's the perfect answer. Okay. Let me ask you though, to kind of put a bow on everything and be aware of your time and the listeners time. What three or two points from today's discussion? you really want someone to sit down and everybody grab your paper, piece of paper and pencil, sit down and say, Okay, let me write this point down, this point, this point, someone told me the other day, start calling it your tweetable moments. Okay, I'm not a big fan of that. But what are two or three points that you have made today, that every leader, want to be leader, or somebody who wants to be better, should make note of?
1: Okay, all right. I'll, I'll see if I can sum it all up because we've covered a lot. Yeah. So I'll start uh, in no particular order. First, be aware of your emotions. Be aware of what you're bringing into the office every day and and assume that everything you're feeling, your your colleagues and coworkers and team members are going to feel the same thing just by being around you. So ask yourself, is this how I want to show up today? And if the answer is no. What do you need to do to change it? So that's the first, okay? Um, the second I would bring and I'm, I'm going to give you three. The, the second is, um, don't be afraid of vulnerability. Embrace the power of vulnerability. So just like I told my personal story, I mean there's vulnerability can come in lots of ways. It can be asking for help. It can be, it could be saying, "I don't know, or I was wrong. You were right. And there's lots of ways we can do it. And vulnerability is scary for us as leaders. It's hard to do, but it is where it, it is foundational to trust particularly in times of uncertainty like this. So don't be afraid to stretch yourself as a leader and embrace vulnerability. And the third, um, really think about those relationships that you want to start nurturing as we start to come back to some form of normal. And think about how you can do that in a, in a face-to-face, over a meal kind of way. If you are a leader in an organization, um, one set of relationships should be your peers. So let's say you're a chief marketing officer. You need to be thinking about how you can get lunch with the um, chief, fi- chief financial officer or the COO or whoever it happens to be. But peers need that kind of conversation so they keep the business aligned and keep everybody on the same page. Alignment is one of those things I, I, I really push hard with um, uh, leaders, make sure they're doing it. And it's hard to do it virtually, but lunches are great to do that. So those would be my three takeaways. Be, be aware of your emotions that you're bringing to work. Don't be don't be scared of vulnerability and think about how you can nurture those relationships that are really critical in your professional life.
0: I thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's just been a powerful, powerful day. I think our leadership lessons, I want to just quickly put up your website on here so folks can take a look at that, who are looking at it on YouTube or wherever. Um, it's worth the journey. I thank you very much for taking the time. Boy, and I know. I know there's a lot of value here. That's why I wanted you on board. So thank you. Thank you. Go on. Thank
1: you. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thanks for all the great questions. Fantastic.
0: Fantastic.